Good morning again, everybody. Hey, we are kicking into a new series today called the Upside Down Kingdom, and you'll learn more about it over these coming weeks. Um, but it's really about how the Bible talks about living countercultural, and really that is kind of counterintuitive, you know, to us as well. And, and so, you know, as we're going to be talking about this, there's just a lot of things that the Bible talks about, Scripture speak to, about how we're to live differently. Uh, than the world around us and how even the way that we respond and think and talk and, and all these different things, but it really is the better way of living. And so, uh, you know, I, I, as I was thinking about this series and just thinking about ways that I could communicate, I just kind of have a funny example. It was actually in the news this week as well. But when you were a kid, do you remember hanging upside down? on like the monkey bars or maybe some uh, something out on the playground. And, you know, you get that feeling of all the blood. feels like it's just rushing to your head. And then, you know, you, you get just all those feelings. And when you stand back up in the right way with your feet on the ground, everything starts returning to normal. It's like you start to feel normal again. Well, something like that happened this week. If you saw it on the news, there were some folks up in Wisconsin who were on a carnival ride at a festival or fair or something. I don't really know what it was. But they were on some sort of a roller coaster and it got stuck upside down where they're literally dangling, suspended there. And, you know, I mean, that's not a very pleasant experience, but these people actually get some of them got stuck for almost three hours hanging upside down. And man, can you imagine what they felt like when they finally got to put their feet back on the ground and things got back to normal? And, you know, I believe that uh, that that we're actually in a similar way, sometimes we can actually live in ways that are contrary to really the wisdom of God's Word, but yet even in the, the weirdness of it, it becomes normal to us. And so then we come to the Bible and we begin to look at the Scriptures, and it really begins to challenge us in the way that we think, in the way that we look at things, our perceptions of things. And, and yet God's Word is true. God's Word is right for us. And so we want to look at some things today together uh, and I really want to just uh, kind of drill down a little bit on some of these things for us, because I believe that when we really begin to look at God's word, not just as um, maybe a suggestion, but really it's like a manual for life. It, it really gives us the instructions and the wisdom that we need to live our life here successfully. And the Bible talks many times about things that almost seem contradictory to our mind or to our flesh or to our emotions. And, you know, but the reality is, is that we have some thinking and some thought processes that probably need to change if we're going to experience the life that Jesus has paid for us. And so one of the things that we have to know is that the world that we're in has been programming us from the day that we came to life, the day that we were born, we be, our environment began to teach us things. And that has never stopped, and it is still ongoing to this day, is that we are constantly learning information, and our minds and our souls are constantly taking in new things. And so we're, we're being, and really, if you want to think of it that way, I don't really like that word program, but I think it is a very accurate word, because our culture and our society and even our environment is really programming us to survive. It's programming us to say, hey, this is the best way to get to next week or whatever it may be. But it even goes deeper than that. It, it, it really um, goes into the way that we think, the way that we speak, the words that we use, and even the reactions that are really kind of acceptable at this point. It's almost like this is what's, what the expectation is and this is just ordinary and this is normal. But what if acceptable is actually wrong? What if what culture says is good, God's word says isn't good? Well, what do we do? How do we approach these things? And so let me give you an example of this that uh, I believe 
we all can relate to. Maybe it's not you, but you know somebody who this may apply to. But we live in a day that is obsessed with three things. Me, myself, and I. We live in a culture that loves me, that loves us. And man, we love to be just to have the focus and the attention and we want everybody to see us. And, you know, and I believe even in a way, I don't know that this is a new problem necessarily. I think it's a human condition, but I think we have avenues today that we've never had. So let me give you a couple of examples that, I, that are fairly new. Uh, but you can think of things like selfies. Well, think about what goes into a selfie now. You have filters and angles and selfie sticks and, and the list goes on and on and on. But it, 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 it's like a, a fake life curator for the camera. You know, somebody wants to take a picture. It's like, oh, I just woke up, and, but my hair's fixed and my stuff's done and I don't look bad and all these things. Well, they've been awake for two hours to get that perfect just woke up picture but in reality, that's all just a mirage. It, it, it's really, uh, it looks good on the phone. It looks good on the computer, but there's no real substance to that life. And so we live in a culture, but that we're just obsessed with, how am I perceived by everybody else? But have you ever really stopped to think or to ponder the question, how am I perceived by the Lord? Because I'm not going to be judged by everybody else. The Lord's not going to you know, go to the, the court of public opinion and be like, hey, what did everybody think about David? He's going to say, David, the only opinion that mattered was mine. And that's who I'm going to stand before. But I can get so sucked into this life and this mindset of like, oh, it's, I've got to have a viral moment. I've got to get my 15 minutes of fame. And our culture is pushing that and pushing that and pushing that. As a matter of fact, uh, the studies are telling us one of the most sought after professions now by young people is to be an influencer is to have a, a personality and a presence online that actually produces a lifestyle. But yet so much of that is just not is real. It, it's just not. And, and what happens even in that is that many times we can fall into that thought of, man, I'll get my 15 minutes of fame and then culture will just run right past us and it'll just move on to the next victim. It'll move on to the next person. And the Bible actually tells us in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about the days in which we live. So just listen to these verses. I'm going to read um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And tell me if this sounds like today. It says, you should know this. Paul's writing to Timothy. It says that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. It says they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Let that sink in for a moment. They will consider nothing as sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. They'll love pleasure rather than God. It says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And Paul's wisdom here is stay away from people like this. See, the Bible here says that in the last days, one of the signs is that people will love themselves. Man, do we love ourselves? Do we love to protect? And, and yet here, this warning at the end, this wisdom that it said is that we can act godly. We can act religious. We can come to church. We can do all the things. We can raise our hands in worship. We can read our Bible. I mean, like even think about social media. We could take a picture of our Bible and be like, oh, this scripture spoke to me. But did it speak to you or did it change you? Because just because it looked good on Instagram 
and you shared your devotional with everybody, it doesn't matter if it looks good to them. It's, did it change us? Because what, we, what we're after is not just to look the part. We actually want to receive and experience the power of God that would actually change us, that would transform us. And, and so we need to be this way. But our culture, as we said a few minutes ago, is always teaching us. It's always programming us. And, and so we have this idea of what normal is and what is seemingly what everybody else is doing. I can remember my mom growing up. I would say things like, well, everybody's doing it. And she was like, just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean that that's good. Or just because they're doing it doesn't mean that you should do it. And yet we can get sucked into this idea or this concept uh, of just this idea of what normal is. But see, here's the thing about normal. If we all know that normal isn't the best way to live, in other words, we see our culture, we see the, 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 the ways in which culture is trying to get us to move. If we know that's not the best way, then by default, like if that's our normal, if normal is what everybody's doing, then to live according to God's ways and God's wisdom it's going to seem awkward. It's going to seem odd. It might even feel very uncomfortable. Why? Because it's going against the grain of the way that we've learned to survive, the way that we've learned to function in the world that we're in. And so we just got to know that is that it's not going to just feel right away. Like when you begin to make some adjustments, you begin to tweak some areas of your life because God's word is challenging. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. We just spent the last few weeks talking about hearing the voice of God. Well, many times when the Lord speaks, it's going to cut across the grain. It, it, it's going to kind of, you know, it'd be like when you take a cat and you, you rub their fur backwards. They don't really care for that. And they're going to, you know, scratch you, bite you, whatever. Because they don't like their hair being pulled a different direction. Well, neither do we. And yet here we have to be kind of okay with being in a place that feels awkward. It feels odd. It doesn't feel comfortable. But here's what we know. If we just go with the flow of culture, we're going to find ourselves going the wrong way. If all of culture swim in this way and we're just going along with them, we're going to find ourselves in places that we don't want to be. And so God's wisdom is actually to go against the culture, to go in a sense, if they're going downstream, we need to start swimming upstream, which is the reason why we've called the series what we have. It's the upside down kingdom. God's way many times seems contrary to what even logic says. And so we're going to be looking at some of these concepts over these next couple of weeks. And so I want to just kind of jump into this one here, which I've already talked about it uh, a little bit. But what would your world look like if you thought of yourself less? Now, I, don't, I didn't say think of yourself or to think less of yourself. No. What would it mean to literally think of yourself less, like where you're not the first priority of your life, of your day, of your functioning in this world. Now, I don't mean that you need to create more insecurities. Like don't, you're not talking about thinking less of yourself because we have an identity in Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ that our identity is now hidden in Him. I mean that we actually just need to think less about us. We need to put more of our focus on others and serving and loving those around us. And, and this is very important. And so, you know, I believe that the more that we consider ourselves, the more focused that we actually become on what we want, but we don't yet possess, which actually produces in us this, this undue desire for more. 
Why? Because we're so focused on what we don't have. But when we're mindful and when we're mindful of others and we serve others, I believe that it generates this incredible gratitude on the inside of us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5 says this. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. It says, be humble. I know you came to church to hear that today. Don't be selfish. Be humble. It says, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in others too. He says, you must take on the same attitude that Christ had. In the following verses right after this, he talks about how Jesus took off his royal robes of being God and he became and put himself into the form of a servant. See, that's who we're called to be. But yet in our, in our culture, it's, hey, I don't want to serve. I want to be served. I want to be somebody. I, I want people to do stuff for me. I don't want to do stuff for other people. But as believers, we're called to actually live differently, very differently than the culture around us. So what if you were more mindful of, of everybody else? When I say everybody, I mean everybody, everywhere, all the time. What if you thought of other people and your number one goal was to say, God, I want to see other people. I want to engage with people. And so it could look like this. Maybe you, you, you look and you say, okay, what do they not have? And am, am I in a position to provide what they don't have? What do they need? Maybe it's not a material thing, but what do they need? How could I encourage them today? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody in your family. But how could I be encouraging? How could I be a source of strength to somebody else today? Maybe it's just being kind and gracious. What a thought. But yet those things are kind of disappearing seemingly in our culture. It seems odd to see somebody just being kind to another human being. Now, I know some people, when I start talking about these things, are like, oh, but people are going to take advantage of the nice guy. They're going to take advantage, of, and I don't want that to happen. Most likely, you're right. But just because somebody takes advantage of you, does that change the truth of God's Word? Or does God's Word still ring true? Is there still wisdom in the Scriptures for us in how we live, how we approach life? Because I believe the Bible speaks to it quite a bit. And so let me just answer that question. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to be mindful of other people because they're going to take advantage. Well, Jesus actually talked about this. He talks about it in Luke chapter 6. We're going to read a number of Scriptures here together. But starting in verse 27 of Luke 6, it says, To you who are willing to listen. In other words, not everybody who was with Jesus was listening to Jesus. Or let me say it this way. They might have heard the words that he said, but they were not taking them to heart. And so he starts off and says, To you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Any of the hair on the back of your neck standing up already? Because he keeps going. He says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. I already don't like the list. I'm supposed to love enemies, do good to those who hate me. Bless those who curse me. Pray for those who hurt me. Like none of these things do I want to do in my flesh. My flesh wants to defend. My, my, my flesh wants to rise up and fight back. And yet the Bible here tells me to do just the opposite of what my emotions want me to do, what my flesh wants me to do, what my mind might be screaming at me to say. The Bible says don't do those things. And he's not done. He keeps going. He says if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. 
Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do unto you. We call that the golden rule. How many of you remember that growing up? Do unto others. Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. Jesus continues, he says, if you only or if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. And so Jesus is really comparing and contrasting. He's saying, hey, if you, if you act this way, well, even the world acts that way. So what, what benefit is that? And so he repeats himself again. And he says, love your enemies. Because I'll remind you in the Old Testament, it was an eye for an eye. In other words, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. If you steal from me, I'm going to come steal from you. Whatever it is, I'm going to come take vengeance for whatever you've done to me. I'm going to fight my battles and I'm going to do what I need to do. And yet Jesus is, is, in a sense, flipping the script on them, literally and figuratively, because he says, hey, love your enemies. Well, how do you love your enemies? This next couple words kind of summarizes it. It says, do good to them. So if you need to know, how do I love my enemies? You got to do good to them. You got to speak well of them. It doesn't mean that you have to continue to put yourself in harm's way. That's not what this is talking about. But what it means is that I'm going to love people to the best of my ability and even beyond my ability. Why? Because I have the spirit of Christ on the inside of me. And because I have his ability on the inside of me, it helps me to do things that I can't do in and of myself. So love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be truly acting as children of the most high God. So eye for an eye, that's the world's way. That's the world's mindset. Loving your enemies, doing good to them, that's when you're acting like your father. And I, it goes on here and says, for he was kind to those who were unthankful and wicked. By the way, that was all of us. We were all unthankful and wicked, and yet God was gracious. God was kind to us. And he goes on, he says, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. In other words, we're to be a mirror reflecting the goodness of God to the world around us everywhere that we go. They shouldn't just see us. They should see Christ being formed in us. See, I think that's what kingdom living is actually all about. See, I know that there may, you, you may not have a, a good grasp as to what it means. And even when you hear things like the kingdom of God and, you know, and even some people ask Jesus at one point, they're like, where is your kingdom? And he says, well, it's not here and it's not there. The kingdom of God is within. It's on the inside of us. And really, if you really want to get down technical to it, is where is the kingdom of God? It's anywhere that God's rule and God's reign is established. And he is a king and there is a kingdom that we're to be living for. But I think that many times what happens is that we are out here living our life king dumb, like not D-O-M, like king D-U-M-B, king dumb. We are not being wise in our mindset, in our thought. And we're allowing situations and circumstances and things to greatly affect us that if we would just come in line with God's word, we would actually see that God's word is true. 
and that we're actually going from living the way that the rest of the culture is telling us to be, to act, to think, to respond, and we begin to act and think and respond the way that the Word of God tells us, we're going to find that, hey, we have peace, that we have joy, that there's not all this anxiety. Why? Because we're living according to the kingdom principles that have been established in God's Word. So how do we do this? How do we not be king dumb, but we want to be king dumb mindset? We want to have it. The Bible talks about this in Romans 12. It's actually a couple other, I'm going to give you a couple other references where you can go read as well before I read the scripture. It's also, you can go look in Ephesians 4. Uh, so Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 23, and Colossians 3, verse 10 as well. But here in Romans chapter 1, this is the admonition to the church. And he says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. He says this is truly the way to worship. See, I think sometimes God has an idea of what worship is. And we have this idea that worship is just a song. No, worship is our life. It's the message that we live out. So how do we do this? He goes on in verse 2 and says, don't copy the behavior. Don't just go with the flow. you got to start swimming upstream. So don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you. See, the world wants to just mold you and press you into something. God wants to transform you into something unique, special for His pleasure, the Bible tells us. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. It says, then you will learn to know God's, what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Other translations use this verbiage, which is you've got to renew your mind. Let me give you another word for renew. You've got to renovate. You know, I mean, Darren and I have remodeled multiple homes at this point in our life. We've redone, I think, nine or ten. So I know a little bit about demo. I know some about cleanup and I know about rebuild. And this is what I know. Until I demo, I can't rebuild. But if I just demo and don't clean up and don't rebuild, I don't want to live in a place that's just torn apart. So I have to, what? I, I have to come in and, yeah, demo's fun. I love demo. My sister just bought me a shirt and it, had a, it has a saw and a piece of wood or something. It says man glitter on it. And it's the sawdust falling underneath it. You know, and I'm like, that's appropriate. And, uh, so she knows me well. But demo's a lot of fun. I like demo. I mean, but I don't want to live in that place. I want to build back into something that's better, that's something that's fresh, something that's new. And the thing is, is that if we're going to renew our minds, it's not just do away with the old. No, we have to now replace it with something better. And that's what we're talking about throughout this series is living from a better place according to godly principles that God has for us. And so it's important that we understand, even as Christians, I mean, multiple times throughout scriptures, it talks about that we're not to live for this life. That we're not to live for this moment. In John chapter 17, verse 15 through 17, this is Jesus praying to the Father. And he says, I'm not asking that you would take them out of the world. That's escape theology. Like, oh, Jesus, just show up and take us to heaven. He says, no, I, I, I'm not asking for you just to take them out. He says, but keep them safe in the culture. 
Keep them safe from the evil one. Keep them preserved from the attacks of the enemy. It says, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. No more than Jesus belonged to this world, neither do we today. We actually have a new citizen, a new citizenship, a new place of identification. So it goes on here and he says, they no more belong to this world than I do. He says, make them holy by your truth and teach them your word, which is truth. Jesus is giving us a key here and he says, look, if, if you want to not live like this world, you're going to have to learn my word. You're going to have to put your word in my heart. Go read Proverbs 3 where it talks about putting God's word in your heart, making that deposit into your life. Why? Because the word reminds us this is not my home. This is not where I'm going to spend eternity. This is not the most important thing. What's happening in my life today is not eternal. We're to live with an eye here on the earth. Sure, we have things to take care of, but we need to keep our eye on the prize, which is heaven. And we're being called to live in a way that represents heaven. We're not just citizens of this earth anymore. We are now citizens of heaven and we're here to represent our risen Savior. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. It says that we must live in reverent fear of God. Now, again, that reverent fear is not like fear, afraid, scary. No, reverent fear means honor and respect and, and glory unto Him. And so I want to live my life in a way that I honor God. And it says, so I'm to do that during my time here as a temporary resident. This, this life, the Bible says, is like a vapor. It is just in the span of, of history and humanity. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. So the, the Bible says, hey, live in reverent fear, honoring God with our life. Why? Because we understand that we're just temporary residents here. It says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life. How many of you know that your life before Jesus actually was pretty empty? If you're here today and you haven't realized that, Today can be the day that you actually come to that understanding that Jesus has something better for you. So God paid a ransom to save us from that empty life that we've inherited through our culture, through our ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. No, it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, the spotless lamb of God. And so what do we do? Understanding these things, hey, I don't want to live with just all of my focus and all of my attention on this life, if it's just temporary. No, I want to live my life with an eye on the eternal, that which is going to matter forever. That's what I want to look at. And, and so this is what I would encourage you with today, is that we want to live our life for a king. Because there is a kingdom that is coming. We serve Jesus. The Bible says He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all Lords. And if we're going to live, if you want to say it this way, if you want to be successful in Jesus's kingdom, then you're going to have to do it Jesus's way. And the, the wisdom of the scriptures throughout gives us the way that we're to live. Proverbs is full of wisdom, how to live our life successfully in ways that are going to be for our benefit and for our blessing. And so I want to live it this way. I, I, I want to live with a king dumb mindset. In other words, if you don't have a king, you don't have a kingdom. I want to live from a mindset that I am giving my life to Jesus. 
that He is my King and He is the one that I'm serving. I'm not an American first. I'm a Christian first. I'm so thankful for my heritage, my family, my, my natural heritage. But that is not the most important thing to me. There's nothing wrong with being proud of who I am or being proud of my family. But it, it's not ultimate. That's temporal. What's, what's going to matter for eternity is that, man, that I served Jesus, that I have a kingdom mindset. And so if we have a king, a king also hands out assignments. And we have a job to do. We have an assignment. You have an assignment today. And you may think, oh, man, I'm too far gone. No, God still has a plan for you. God still got good things for you. He still wants to use you. What he promised, the Bible says, the gifts and the callings, the, the things that God designed you and created you for, those assignments don't go to the side. They, the Bible tells us that those gifts and callings are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. What he said about you the day that he formed you, he still says about you today. And so you have a king and you have an assignment. God has something for you to do. You say, well, well what is that? I can tell you the 30,000 foot view, what I believe all of us are called to do. We're all called to do different specific things. One of the things that we're told to do throughout scriptures is that we're to occupy until Christ's return. You're like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let me give you another phrase for that. Is that we're to represent, we're to represent, represent him to the world around us until he comes. Well, we can do that by what? By putting others first. Jesus did that. Jesus would, the Bible tells us multiple times about where Jesus would go to get away to try to get some solitude. And then all of a sudden, what? People would come and find him. And he would always, it's, the Bible says multiple times, he was moved with compassion. If they were hungry, he fed them. If they were sick, he healed them. Whatever they needed, Jesus would put himself on the back burner and would meet people where they were. Well, that's who we're called to be. So we're to represent him. We're to represent Christ to the world around us. Like I said earlier, we're to be like that mirror that people can see Jesus through us. And so my last scripture for you today is, is this, and I'm going to read this out of the message translation. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. I would encourage you to go read this possibly in a couple different translations just to get a good full view. But I love some of the things that the message uh, highlights here. Jesus speaking says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. I mean, we live in South Louisiana and we know a thing or two about some flavors, don't we? Well, we're to bring out the God flavors in the world around us. Our food tastes different because we put some different flavor in it. Well, our life should be different to those around us because we have a different flavor that God has put on the inside of us. It says, God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. It says, Jesus makes a statement, he says, if I make you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a lampstand, shine. So don't hide your light. Let your light shine. The Bible says, let your light shine before men that they would glorify God. That they would actually be thankful to God that you exist, that you're in their life. Why? Because you're the closest thing to Jesus that some people may ever see. And this is our calling. This is what we're called to be. And so he goes on. He says, keep open house and be generous with 
your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God, the generous Father in heaven. And so over these next couple of weeks, as we're looking at some of the, the, maybe some of the challenging things, I would encourage you, lean into the discomfort. Don't run away from it. No, lean into it. Why? Because on the other side of, of, of our kind of grabbing hold of truths of God's word that are challenging to us, there's actual transformation. Remember Romans chapter 12, do not copy the behaviors of the culture, but let God transform you by the way that you think. And so you may be challenged. You may have been challenged today. You may be challenged in the coming weeks with some of the things that we have to share with you. But I would encourage you, lean into it. Don't, don't pull back from it. The fact that it's uncomfortable is actually a good sign. Because why? Because change happens when we push through discomfort. And so I want to encourage you today is that, hey, we don't want to just go with the flow of culture. We actually want to be cross-cultural. We, we want to go against the grain of culture. Why? Because what culture is doing is not working. We actually want to come alive unto God and we want to live in a way that shows a different way of living to the culture around us that they would then now in turn come to Jesus. And God wants to use you to do that. And so I want to pray this morning over you as I'm wrapping up this message. I believe that, that there's been some things that God has spoke to your heart this morning. I would encourage you, make note of those things. Give, you know, that's one of the ways I believe that we actually honor when God speaks to us. I said this in our last series, is that, that we write what God speaks to us down. That way we don't forget it. And so if God spoke something to you today, man, put pencil and paper to it. Type it into your phone and then go back to it. Why? Because that's where our transformation comes. So let me pray this morning. Father, I just thank you so much for every person that's here in the room today with me. Father, whether they're here or maybe even if they're online today. Father, I just thank you, Father, that you have called us to live countercultural, counterintuitive to even what our own mind and emotions may tell us at times. But Father, I thank you that your word proves true and it proves right. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to help us to live for uh, the glory of God in areas that we may be challenged. When, the, when, when we know we want to respond one way, but yet you're nudging us to, to lead and to live another way. Holy Spirit, we just ask for your help. Father, I thank you today for every person that's here. Father, I just thank you that you speak, that we hear, that we're quick to obey your word. We're quick to obey and listen to your promptings. Father, because you have good things in store for every single one of us. Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.